Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Mustager, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here to recap Colorado's 2023 football season with football analyst William Gardner, Buff Stampede staff writer Sean Niehoff, and 104.3 The Fans' Matt Smith. This is kind of uh, an old school. This is a throwback to where uh, four guys are just chatting at a restaurant or a bar talking about the, the, the season. I like this setup here. Well, yeah, you know, as long as one of us not the troublemaker and we don't all get thrown out. Yeah, that's right. The instigator. Somebody has to start a ruckus. That's all. I, I know who my money's on for that to be the case, <laughs> if that is the case. Well, and, and, and whatever Matt does, I'll be that's the one right. to back him up because I'm the hey, enforcer. I appreciate that. You're the muscle. Right. Sean, uh, you've endured through a lot of rough CU football seasons next to me in the, in the the Folsom Field press box. I don't know if I hypnotized you or what makes you keep continuing to write, but but I really appreciate it. What was your experience like uh, th- this past season as compared to previous seasons? Well, the, you know, I think the big takeaway is it was it was just fun again, right? There. There was a story every week, regardless of how the team was performing. Um, you know, as we discussed, it was it, it became tough at the end of last season to to really look forward to to doing this anymore in that that sort of environment. You know, it was there's only so many times you could recycle the same story about uh, you know a team that was non-competitive that didn't have any players and didn't really have any stories other than are they you know when are they going to get this guy out and what are they going to do to replace him? So, um, you know, one, once all uh, the uh, the rumors and then came to fruition about all the prime stuff came in, it, it just became exciting again um, with with all the all the hype and, and knowing that, that every week, what you know, regardless of what plays out on the field, there were going to be stories. And I think we're still we're still playing that through this offseason. Today's episode is brought to us by Macaulay Capital Fractional CFO Services. Is your business looking for financial guidance and support but not yet big enough to hire a full-time CFO? Well, we have a solution for you. Hiring a fractional CFO who can work with your business on a part-time basis. You get the benefit of having a seasoned financial expert on your team without the commitment or expense of a full-time hire. And here's the best part. It's likely that a partnership with Macaulay Capital will be a win-win situation, meaning that your business will make more money from the guidance of a fractional CFO than the total cost of partnering with us. For more information or to set up a meeting, please visit MacaulayCapital.com. That's M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y Capital.com. I want to get your main takeaways from your one of the coach prime experience in Boulder. William, let's go with you. Well, I think the first things that come to my mind, I thought of a, a three things right off the top of my bat. Is I think that uh, one thing we learned is it's going to be hard, or at least it was hard this year, to develop continuity and team work in a team where you've got 85 new guys that don't know each other and come in. So I think there were real problems with that uh, on the field. I think we also learned that the outside in, and I don't know, I, I wouldn't say I learned this because I knew this, going in when I heard that 
outside in of de- development philosophy of the team, it didn't work, man. Uh, it worked better on the defensive side because that defensive line got better, but have not having an offensive line that was worth anything on the offense really. And I, and I get where prime was coming from with the level of talent we had uh, uh, in some of those skill positions, but you still got to have those big guys up front. Um, and then I think, you know, another takeaway we had is that, uh, you know, Prime needs to learn some things. I mean, I think he did learn some things in terms of how to manage games and manage uh, personnel and things like that. So uh, one of the things I would say is that uh, it, it's just not as easy to turn around. Even even in the modern portal era, it's not going to be as easy to turn around a team that was as bad as we were uh, when Darrell got fired. Yeah, I would say, you know, not even looking at the on-the-field performance, um, but kind of stepping away from that, it was, you know, th- there's so many positives to take away from it. The, this whole prime experience, um, you know, has really re-energized the program and the fan base. And, and it went a long way toward closing that 20 year gap of apathy and negativity, um, you know, inside the university and, and within the, the CU administration. And, and so some of that is, you know, has to do with, with changes in leadership as well, but, um, that's one of the big things that I take, take away from this. And, you know, this was never a one-year turnaround. So despite all of the hype and bravado and, and, you know, the, the honestly unrealistic fanfare that prime and his social media enterprise created, uh, around this team, um, you know, this is, this is still a, a rebuild. It's still a process and it was not going to happen, um, right away. So, um, you know, getting to, to on the field type stuff, I, I think we saw, you know, a lot of what William pointed to. I think one of the big things with bringing in all of this, you know, complete roster turn, turnover in the offseason is we really start to see play out as the year went on a, a lack of leadership from inside the team. Um, you don't have those those guys that have been around the program for four years and, and have um, – both the the personalities to be vocal leaders, but also the the kind of uh, build it from the ground up respect inside the team. And so I think that was a big challenge. And then, you know, one of the one of the interesting things that I take into the offseason is it, it kind of appears that this is really the first time uh, for prime and throughout his whole career of, of playing and coaching that he's fallen short of all the hype and public ex- expectations that he helped create, right? So regardless of whether or not those were realistic expectations, um, you know, I'm kind of curious to see in this offseason, how does that affect his ability to to attract his Louis, right, um, in year two? And, and how, does, how does it change the approach that he has to team building and roster management, um, and then also dealing with the flow of media out of the, the program. I think uh, towards the end of the season, we we started to see that some of that was toned down a, a little bit. There was uh, a little less frequency of, of releases coming out of, out of his group and his team, um, maybe a little more muted. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out uh, in this offseason going into next year. Well, my biggest takeaway is it was a ton of fun. Like, you know, from a from a 30,000 foot view, that was a blast. It was the most entertaining last place team I've ever covered. Right. I mean, the highest of highs and, uh, you know, some real lows, but it wasn't a roller coaster. 
you know, it was more of like a slow bike ride downhill, but you drove to the top of the mountain and then, you know, just started slowly inching down. And then once you hit that Stanford game, that's when you really hit the hill, you know, and handlebars, that type of situation, because it was just all gone from there. Uh, One of my one of my biggest takeaways is that no matter who it is, college football and being a head coach is one of the hardest jobs I know. It is thankless hours. You are a shell of a person at the end of the season, especially if it's a tough year. And we've seen that through many different coaches, but watching Dion and then seeing who he was at the end of the year. I mean, you go back and you watch those early pressers, you know, there's a lot of puffing the chest out. And do you believe now he didn't ask us that at the end of the, at the end of the, you know, season in Salt Lake, right? He wasn't asking us if we still believed. And so, you know, I think that's interesting because a lot of that had to happen. Like he created a lot of the hype, but they had to have that just to be like, Hey, we're relevant. You know, this is us Colorado. Remember us from the nineties. We used to be really good. It was, it was kind of one of those situations. And this program was on death's doorstep. Like I, I didn't think that there was a future for Colorado football. I didn't. I thought that at at the tail end of the Durrell era, I mean, they were more likely headed towards the Mountain West than they were the Big 12. And then everything got flipped on its head. My other big takeaway is with the right person, and it's probably one in a million, but you can change the trajectory of a program overnight. Now, does that mean it's actually going to, flip and you're going to get all the results you want overnight no but the second that Deion sanders walked into that press conference everything changed everything changed you could feel the vibe in there there was an electricity that i didn't know still existed around the program and quite frankly i'm not sure what i expected but the the overwhelming support from not only this fan base and yeah okay there are people who are picking and choosing right now but again if you went to those same people and asked them you know <laughs> would you rather keep Dion or go back to what you were doing you know 99 out of 100 would say I'd rather keep Dion because it is undeniably in a better place than it used to be now does that mean that it's going to be as easy as he thought it was. I think that was probably my biggest takeaway. I think he thought it would be a little bit easier. I think there he felt like there would be less resistance on his way, but this sport is so unforgiving. And if you don't have all the pieces in place, and even then, if you don't hit green lights, you're going to struggle. And what we saw with the Stanford game, you cannot go through that type of a loss and rebound. I really firmly believe that that shattered the season because at five and two heading into the bye week, this is a totally different year, guys. But they were four and three, just blew the biggest lead in school history. And to Sean's point, the leadership wasn't strong enough to carry that through because I do believe it was the first time, as Sean mentioned, that this is that, that Dion fell short of expectation. And I think he struggled with that for a while until at the end. You know, one of the things that I thought was was strange was he set the expectation really high. And then I think it was coming out of the bye week. You know, they had on the well-off media videos that Shermer or it was after the UCLA game that Shermer and Charles Kelly were up in front of the team, showing them all the numbers of how much better they were year over year. And I remember talking to Adam in the press conference and we were like, well, do you think that was in there on purpose? I said, absolutely. It was in there on purpose because they're losing and they're trying to give some reasons, which I thought was funny because it was all about no excuses. And yeah, we know it's year one, but we want to win, win, win. Well, when you say that the fan base is going to get attached to those expectations. So it shouldn't be a, a surprise to you that people are concerned that maybe you're either let one slip or falling short of those expectations. And then I think at the end of the year, 
he realized it was okay to be a little bit more human than he was when he walked through the door. And I think maybe at the beginning, if he had done that, you wouldn't have seen the level of hype, but it was also necessary to inject, you know, life back into the program. So I would say one of my bigger takeaways is, is you can have a quarterback all you want. He could be the number one pick in the NFL draft. You don't have an offensive line. It does not matter. That's number one. Um, being one dimensional in college football or any football for that matter is, is unacceptable and does not win games, especially against good teams late in the year. And then I would say, you know, I think culturally the takeaways, the list is just, you know, it's so long. I, it would take us an hour and a half just to get through them. So those are, those are probably my big ones. I'm sure there's some other ones, but yeah, I mean, this is not an easy job. And like I said, I think it's been a lot of fun and I can't wait to see where it goes one way or another. It's going to be fascinating. It does kind of feel as we're recapping the 2023 season that the narrative for the season, even though the season's over with, has yet to be really spelled out, right? I, I think if you look back to the Stanford game, if Colorado goes eight and four next year or nine and three next year, is going to look a lot different than if they go four and eight. It's going to be that's going to be a defining moment of coach prime and the kind of this tenure versus if you have success, I think folks, I don't know if fondly is the right word, but you know, parts of 2023, I, I think a lot of CU fans will re reflect on game day and in Fox big noon being in Boulder on the same day. They're going to think fondly on the comeback against CSU. They're going to think about certain things kind of the same way we did with the building uh, Mike McIntyre teams back in, what was it, 2015, where they lost a lot of close games. And you kind of, I've seen a couple of those replays on the Pac-12 network, and I kind of sit down and watch them and go, oh, yeah, this was kind of building towards something really good. Um, and so even though we're recapping the season, it feels like uh, how this season is going to be viewed is going to be dictated on what they do next year. And, and to that point, what, what, what do people think of when they think of McIntyre now, that Oregon State game? They they think do. that was the the downfall in right if they if they don't lose that game how long is Mike McIntyre the head coach in Boulder right. and is right. the program in a better better situation probably mm -hmm. if you look back at it like in terms of hiring Mel Tucker him leaving in the middle of the night and the Carl Durrell experience like it would have been nice to have Mike McIntyre around during those years so um, yeah, that that was an unfortunate game and. We're actually going to share our least favorite moments from our CU experience in the in, in the Pac-12. Spoiler alert: that that was one of those afternoons where I was I had to pinch myself to make sure that I wasn't having a nightmare, <laughs> not yeah. not a dream, having a nightmare because that was uh, a miserable afternoon. I also think it depends upon how you want to look at it, right? I mean, it depends upon what lens you're looking at it through. I've seen a ton of reaction where people say, oh, you know, you lose 0-6, you know, it, it, it's all gone. And I asked people after the Utah game to grade Coach Prime's year. And I would say the majority of the responses I got were about a C, and I just laughed. Like, if, if that was a C, I can't wait to see what an A was. Because the truth of the matter is, guys, yeah, okay, they let a few slip, but my expectations heading into the year were four to five games, four to five wins. Now, they moved when you start 3-0, and and certainly was a terrible finish. No excuses there. But at the end of the day, you got to evaluate the team with what you have. And I think that they maybe overachieved a little bit early on because TCU did not know what to expect. You go back, you watch that film, the whole, you know, the whole game, TCU's playing 10, 15 yards off. And it's like, well, we learned later that Colorado's offense is all short yardage, get the ball out quick. And if you come up and you press them and you pressure Shador, you can stop that. 
but TCU didn't know how to attack them because they didn't know what to expect. So a fascinating grand experiment. And yeah, it's just been, look, I think to your point, Adam, you know, at the end of the day, how, how you evaluate it is going to be personal, but a lot of it is dictated by next year because this was the free pass year. And as coach prime said on the desk, I think it was on the desk the other day with with Amazon. He was like, you know, year one was about hope and year two is about expectation. I was thrilled to hear him say that because he's dead on. The real expectation sets in next year. You can't do what you did. The Stanford loss, if it happens next year, you know, that type of a game, then it's a way different tale. Yeah, I I think one of, you know, one of the things to add on to that is that, you know, like you said, Matt, um, Prime came in and and he he resuscitated a program that was dying, right? And so I think regardless of what happens on the field in the primary era, whether he wins next year, whether uh, it turns out that he's not the the coach to to turn things around, and in you know two, three, four years, we're we're looking at. at backfilling that. I think what's happened though is the program has been resuscitated. And enough changes has, have happened inside the the administration and inside the university's approach to the program that it's going to be in an immeasurably better spot than it was before he got here. I think that's what he did, and and so I no longer have those concerns that you know if if he leaves when Shadour leaves, if he if he isn't able to make you know make uh lemonade out of the lemons that he inherited he's at least going to put us in a better spot that the program can move forward even in a post-prime environment where you know a year ago you didn't have that same that same feeling well the job the job would appeal to better coaches we would be looking at a better pool of people at this point than we were a year ago yeah and players i mean and players I mean, that that's the other that's the other part. You know, he gets a lot of heat for how they finished, but no one, no coach they could have hired would have brought the talent that he brought with him to Boulder. It would have taken much longer. You'd have had Ryan Staub starting, maybe. You know what I mean? Like it would have been a totally different season. So you have to understand, as Adam said earlier, what's the alternative? And and that's not even worth considering. So yeah, I mean, agreed, Sean. They resuscitated a program that was you know, slowly beeping on life support. Yeah. If you want to take the glass half full approach to this past season in the past year, it's the CU brand is looked at different globally than it was a year ago. And uh, to points made out there already by you guys that, you know, there wasn't another person that was going to do that. Let's hop into our postseason awards. And uh, I'm very anxious to see if somebody goes against the grain here. Let's start with the 2023 Colorado Buffaloes offensive MVP. Well, we're all we're all picking Jared Lichtenhan, right? No, yep. no. <laughs> yeah, I'd be surprised if anybody says anybody but Shadur because it's the obvious and only choice. I would say without without much there's not much else to even be say to follow up with it. He did set a new school record for passing yards in a season and got mangled on a weekly basis and kept getting up until he couldn't get up anymore. So uh, I would not disagree with that pick. And I would say, I would say, you know, we, out of the four wins we have, at least two of them are are delivered almost entirely by him. 
<laughs> I agree yep. completely. I agree completely. It's got to be Shador Sanders. Now, that being said, you know, he was also two touchdowns short of the passing touchdown record, I think, single season. One one short of tying to, to a break-in. Yeah, there you Sefo. go. There you go. Yep. Thank you for the clarification. That being said, you know, as good as he was, like there's some there's some areas to clean up moving forward into next year. And I think that as hard as he worked to get ready for this season from the player he was at the Celebration Bowl, Jackson State, I'm really looking forward to seeing the jump he takes next year, because there are some obvious things that need to happen to clean his game up. Like he's got to he's got to have a little bit better field awareness of when he needs to get rid of the football is making a play every single time important. Or if you surrender on this drive, do you have the defense or the run game to support some of those things where you're not putting yourself in harm's way? You're making slightly better decisions with the football. But again, a lot of that comes back to how well he's protected. So it's kind of chicken in the egg there. But again, you know, I'm looking forward to the jump that he's going to take next year because look, I mean, if he comes back, it's to be the number one overall pick in the draft and your mentality you know, there's there, there's an interesting thing that happens with some elite athletes. Like I think of Nathan McKinnon with the Avalanche. He came into the league as this kind of like chubby kid, you know, not chubby, but like pudgy, you know. And then there was a period where he started really taking care of his diet and his nutrition and his body. And he took in another leap to becoming this all world guy. And when I look at Shador, that is the, that is the biggest missing piece, in my opinion, for him of being of being like a, you know, bona fide certified number one overall is coming in next year physically dialed in and having learned from this year okay i gotta be maybe a little bit tougher to take some of these shots that i'm gonna have to deal with throughout the year and uh, just before we go to sean one thing one thing that i'm surprising was was missing from him he's not he, he's not the field general leadership type guy that you usually have at quarterback agree yeah i and i'm gonna you know I, I'm not going to rock the boat here, and, and and Shador is obviously the the offensive M- MVP. I think he was was both the offensive offense's best weapon, but um, you know on that that counter side, I think he was also the biggest thing holding Sean Lewis's offense back. Um, I you know I loved the Lewis hire. I loved Sean Lewis's offense from a college standpoint, but I don't think it was a good fit for Shador's mental approach. Um, I, you know, I think he's got all the, the skills to, to operate that offense, but it's, it's very much a college offense. And I think that Shador has developed with the private coaching and the, the Tom Brady mentorship and everything else in his development with a pro offense, uh, mindset. And, uh, you know, I think his inability or unwillingness, whatever, whatever it was to embrace and adapt into that offense is part of what led or a big part of what led to the conflicts with Lewis. And, you know, and we know who won that skirmish at the at the end of the day. Um, so, you know, I think that that part of him taking that next step is, uh, you know, comes down to prime really being very selective and making a, a an offensive coordinator hire that is a good fit for Shador, but also gives you know gives him what he needs to to build the offense forward once Shador's gone. Really Sean? well said. Really well. Sorry, the last thing I was going to say is really well said, Sean, because they didn't run a pro style offense, and if he's going to be the number one pick in the draft, they got to do more under center. They got to do more formationally. He's got to be able to sell the run fakes with actual passion. Like there's another level. So I think that was really astute. I'm glad you brought that up, Sean. That was a great point. I yeah. yeah. After I, he I, was after he was demoted, 
I'm reflecting on, okay, why, why was everybody so excited about Sean Lewis coming to Boulder? Why did this not work? And it's exactly what you said. It was not a good fit. And it was so clear when you really reflected on the styles. And yet, because Sean Lewis was so successful running his style and Shadur Sanders is so talented, you just expected it to work. But it really took kind of the uh, the benefit of hindsight, to, for me at least, to really let that sink in to why these were not two guys that were going to reach their best potential as a play caller, as a quarterback together. Absolutely. You know, I wasn't quite sure where, where you were going, and then you tied it together, and it, and it, the way you explained it, the light bulb kind of came on halfway through what you were seeing. I could see it in Matt's face, too, that we were both kind of like, okay, I got it. You're right. Agree with you 100%. Yeah, because there wasn't buy-in to like any RPO, right? There wasn't buy-in right, right. to doing the details. You knew he wasn't going to do it, right? Right. Hold and run, right? And then I think from Sean Lewis's perspective, right, there was probably hesitation on his part to go, okay, well, you know, I know that that stuff is going to work in my offense. I don't want to add a bunch of under center. I don't want to add like a you know a bunch of other different things because that's not what my style is, and I know it's effective if you commit to it. But I I believe that there was probably a butting of the heads there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think by the time that really came to light, it was probably, you know, they're probably too far into that that offensive install to to really make any major adjustments. And you didn't even see Shermer make all those those adjustments either. But uh, you know, I think the RPO just wasn't a good fit. I don't think that that, you know, Shador has not developed with the mentality of that post-snap quick decision making. I think he does a good job at pre-snap reads. I think he does a good job at reading coverages down the field but you know and that that goes to why Colorado didn't run the ball a lot and why they weren't effective at that was I think there were a lot of RPO scenarios where they should have been running the ball and that decision making you know process I think he felt comfortable that he could make a play uh, versus reading what the right play was Um, and and so I I think that in a different offense we're going to see yeah, Shador take his talents to even another level when we go into next year. He had a lot of control too, right? Like I remember at the end of the USC game, they were they were down two scores and they got the ball back with like seven minutes left. It took them like five minutes to score and they were taking their time because Shador kept checking into runs. You he he almost had a little bit too much control and a little bit too much say. I think that's an interesting point. And if you're gonna have that much say, then let's get him in something that he's comfortable with. And honestly. As a coach, as prime or as the next OC, that's when you have to take the decision out of his hands and say, this is what's best for us to win right now, right? Let's go here. We ran the ball really effectively, but now it's time to go. So, yeah, I think that's a good point, Sean. I do. And props to Sean Lewis for landing on his feet, more than landing on his feet, (laughs) getting the head coaching job at San Diego State. There's not a whole lot of places on the planet, I would rather live than San Diego. So uh, whatever happened in Boulder this last year with Sean Lewis, it did not affect his stock as a coach. And, and I would expect him to do well there. You know, I think that's a great fit for him. When you look at all the, the skill talent and the quarterbacks, the state of California produces. So uh, I, I'm going to keep a close eye on San Diego State's football program going forward. And I'm going to be cheering for Sean Lewis. I thought he handled everything with class during his time in Boulder. I mean, he was even uh, tweeting out Buff Love the day of his last game. This was not a guy that checked out. He uh, was passionate about it, thought it would work out. It didn't quite work out in Boulder, but it certainly worked out for him as a head coach. 